So while the, uh, some of the children are going out, I want to add my greeting to Drew's. My name's Aubrey, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm very glad to be here with you today. This is the second sermon in a series of sermons that we're doing during Advent. Advent, it's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So this is the second of those four Sundays. It's it's a time where the church historically has taken a deep breath, kind of the opposite of what our culture does now, right? Where the church has slowed down. And the church has gotten very still in order to imagine Mary, in order for all of us to create a womb where we can receive the Lord Jesus ever more deeply into our lives. Now, this is why it's critical to find ways to practice Advent and to resist our culture's jamming of Christmas into all of the weeks before Christmas. So the church practices Christmas from December 25th for 12 days after that. Our society practices Christmas like starting at Halloween or something, and then you're disgusted by it by the time you actually get there. So this is one of the moments where we are deeply out of step with our culture. We're not celebrating Christmas now. We are preparing to celebrate Christmas. And one of the ways that our church is doing that is we're doing a series of sermons on spiritual formation. This is the second sermon in that series. Now what we mean, what I mean by spiritual formation is developing the kind of deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship with Jesus that, that produces things in your life. The kind of relationship with Jesus that can produce real heart-level transformation. Life can be very complicated. And it's in the kind of relationship that, that I'm talking about, the kind of relationship with Jesus that we can have access to real wisdom. The kind of wisdom that helps you navigate life. Life is super complicated. I mean, who signs up for this stuff, right? Uh, Life is hard. And how do you get through the surprises of a day, the surprises of a family, the surprises of a seat? How do you get through life successfully? How do you navigate the sufferings and the victories? How do you navigate these things with a kind of wisdom so that in the midst of all that life brings your way, you flourish? That's wisdom. That's what the Bible calls wisdom. And this wisdom, God says, is available to us if we will enter into a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Him. But it's not only about wisdom. It's also about virtue. Spiritual formation is about wisdom, and it's about virtue. It's about becoming the kind of people whose lives actually look like the stuff we talk about. Christianity is hard to believe these days. It's hard to buy in to the Christian view. 
One of our deepest needs as Christians is to give a plausibility to the stuff we talk about. And, and it's in a deep, intimate, transformative relationship with Jesus that our lives can slowly, inch by inch, begin to match what we talk about. That's called virtue. We can become people who act peaceably when we're treated unpeaceably. We can become people who are patient, not only in the big things, but with our emotions, when the pressures of life push on us. And, and, and as we experience this kind of deep heart level change with God, suddenly the life that we live begins to make the message we give believable. So it's in an intimate relationship with God that we, ex that we begin to have access to wisdom, that we're changed so that we begin to display virtue, and thirdly, it's when, when we begin to live for God and work with God in his world, one of the things that happens over and over is deep suffering. Now, suffering is ubiquitous. But it's in a deep personal relationship with God that God will open up suffering as a way of giving us gifts. It's in the relationship with God where we're transformed by God, that we can receive in suffering gifts from God. Wisdom, virtue, blessing. It's through a spiritually formative relationship with God that these gifts come into our lives. Now that's what we saw last week. What I want us to do this week is I want us to focus in on the role of Scripture in spiritual formation. The role of Scripture in bringing wisdom into our lives, in bringing virtue into our lives, in opening up blessing amidst the sufferings of life. Now, to do this, I'm going to have two points. Number one, what is Scripture? And number two, how do we read Scripture? What is Scripture? A few minutes ago, we heard three passages read from the Bible. We heard Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, and then the story of the temptations of Jesus out of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 4, 1 to 11. All three of these passages refer to Scripture as a unique gift from God. Unique. Nothing else is like it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're told that Scripture is breathed out by God. That this book is inspirated, inspired by God. That there's something about this book that is as closely related to God and His life as your breath is related to your life. This book, 2 Timothy says, is the very life breath of God. And then in Matthew chapter 4, we're told that Scripture is God's Word. And because the God we are talking about is the one and only creator of all things, His Word is more important to us than bread. 
These are remarkable claims. That this book is the breath of God and it is more important to your living than food is. These are huge claims. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see that it's as Scripture, as the breath of God, the Word of God. It's when it sinks deep into our hearts, it's then that we can become truly human. Three monumental claims about this book. Three things that are said about this book that make it different than any other book. Now, all three of these passages show us that the Bible stands at the heart of God's relationship with you. That right at the center of God's life in your life is Scripture. That right at the center of of God's life in your life is the Bible. The Bible is the means that God uses to bring us to himself. To work in our lives, to care for us, to nourish us and sustain us, to lead us into our true selves. And it does this because the Bible is a gift that God gives the world. Now, not everybody believes this. Not even everybody in this room believes this. Many people see the Bible as a religious text produced, not by God but by humans, just like our Constitution or our law code or Grimm's fairy tales. And and instead of seeing it as divine revelation from God to humans, instead of seeing it as reliable and trustworthy, over the past 500 years, the growing dominant view of Scripture in the West is that it's historically unreliable. That it's scientifically naive. That it's culturally uh, harmful and regressive. Morally, it's suspect. And, And as a text itself, it's corrupt. These critiques of Scripture are very serious. And they deserve to be treated with full and honest attention. And if you have these views of the Bible, if you've gain these views of the Bible, then I would encourage you to question them. I would encourage you to turn the incredible powers of skepticism on those views. And and if you would like to have an honest conversation about any of those issues, please contact me. I'd love to have coffee with you. I'd love to have lunch with you. We can talk about this. But this morning, what I want to do is just show you that when it comes to the Bible, the fundamental Christian view is that it is God's word. And if that view gets destabilized, it is not a Christian view of the Bible. When, when that aspect of the Bible, when the Bible as divine revelation, as from God, as fully trustworthy and fully reliable, when that gets problematized or destabilized, that is turning away from Christianity. There is no way to hold authentic Christianity without this view of Scripture. 
And, and we just read three passages that say it in three different ways. And this is all over the Bible. And it's what the church has always said about the Bible. And anytime churches say other things about the Bible, they are taking a course away from Christianity. The Bible not only teaches us about God. It does more than that. The Bible is where we meet God. In other words, this is, this is called a sacramental view of the Bible. The word sacrament, it means two things. It means pointing to God and the place where we encounter God. This is what the church has always held about the Bible. That the Bible accurately points us to God and also it is in Scripture that we encounter the real God. In Scripture, the Father, the Father in heaven loving, lovingly comes to meet with us, His children. And if we're going to receive wisdom for a complicated life, if we're going to grow in the virtues of God, if we're going to receive blessing amidst suffering, we have to approach the Bible with that deep belief. And when we do that, when we believe that this is God's word, suddenly our approach to it is reverent. Right? If you really believe that the person who loves you the most, who cares about you the most, who has the most power for your good, has given you a precious gift. If you believe that this is breathed out by the Almighty, then your approach to it is reverence, not critique. And it's as we approach Scripture with reverence, that we can receive from the fountain of all life wisdom, virtue, and blessing. Because when we read the Bible, we're in God's presence. Not your homeboy's presence. But a God who is more powerful than a thousand suns. Whom this vast cosmos that we're discovering year by year is bigger and older than we ever imagined. That he's bigger and older than that. And it's as we approach this book, that's who we encounter. The infinite. The almighty. And so we approach this book with reverence. Listening for God's voice. And so we have to have a posture of trembling. Not skepticism. An open receptivity. A trusting, humble hospitality. So that's my first point. What is Scripture? It is God's Word. And so we must approach it with reverence. In order to become wise and to grow in virtue and to receive blessings, it is through the spiritually formative relationship with God Himself that all of this happens. And for that kind of relationship with God, we must listen to Scripture for God's voice. And to listen for God's voice, we much have, we, we've got to approach Scripture with humility. That's my first point. My second point. How? How do you do that? 
How do you approach Scripture in a way that you can hear the voice of God from it? Now, here, I just want to admit to you up front, this book is super complicated. And it is super intimidating. And finding your way around it is so disorienting that many people confess all the stuff I just said, but they're so intimidated by it, they don't actually engage with it. So what I want to do for the rest of this sermon is try to demystify the Bible to make it more accessible so that whether you're seven years old or 70 years old, if, if you're intimidated by it, I want to give you some hooks, some ways into Scripture. I want to talk to you about five different ways of reading the Bible. I'm going to list them first and then I'm going to talk through each of them. First, in worship. Second, in prayer. Third, in study. Fourth, through art. And fifth, by reading big chunks of it. These are the five general categories of how we can access the Bible. All right. If you have your Bible or a Bible, find this passage read to us, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me show you the first of these. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is one of the kind of, uh, I've called it before, the nodal points in the Bible. There are these places in the Bible where it's like you ascend the summit and you can see the whole view of things. And there's a few of these places in the Bible where through them you can see the whole landscape of the Bible. Deuteronomy 6 is one of those nodal passages. Notice how Deuteronomy 6 begins. Hear, O Israel. Listen, Israel. Not listen, Sheldon. Not listen, Abraham. Not listen, Elijah. But listen, Israel. Corporate. The whole thing. All of you. Listen, Israel. To me. Now, this is one of the places in the Bible where we see that the primary way to access Scripture, to, to hear Scripture, to read it and to learn it, is not privately, but corporately. This is the primary way the Bible was originally written for God's people as a group. To listen to it together. Primary but not exclusive. I'm going to get to the others. But this is the primary way. The church is the primary context for hearing God speak in Scripture. Why? Because the church is the bride God created to listen for her her groom's voice. The church did not make the Bible. The Bible made the church. This is so important. It is the word of God that calls the church into being. It is God calling the church into being. He's creating a bride to hear his groom's voice. Now this is taught all through the Bible. But it's neatly pictured here. 
Right? This passage that starts with Israel listen to God's voice ends with you talking about it in your family, you meditating on it as in your own life. But it starts corporately. Primarily, it's there. And yet, while the church is the primary context in which God speaks through his word, worship is the primary event in which God speaks through his word. Listen, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this other passage out of Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 11, for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. Now, in this passage, the author of Hebrews takes a verse out of Psalm 22, puts it in the mouth of the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus says, I will tell of your name, talking about the Father, To my brothers in the midst of the congregation. The primary place that God speaks to us about himself is in worship. Jesus Christ himself speaks to us in worship about the Father. The church gathered together for worship is the appointed place where God's promises to meet, where he promises to meet with his people. So when we come to this room, week after week after week, Sunday after Sunday, we come here for a multitude of reasons. We come here because we miss each other, because we enjoy each other, because we get to do things we like to do, because it's a habit, because we're broken with our guilt and we long for forgiveness, because we need to learn things. We come here for a bunch of reasons. But primarily, we come here to eat and drink of Christ, to meet him, to hear him speak to us. And it is Jesus Christ who speaks to us when the scriptures are read, when we sing the scriptures, when we pray the scriptures, when we act out the scriptures. So when we come to worship, our posture needs to be reverence. Because our posture needs to be giving attention. We need to learn how to lean forward with a trembling, open receptivity, a trusting, humbling hospitality, listening for God's address, receiving God's address. See, See, if you come here and you're convinced that all that is done is some sociological act of religion, That's not a Christian view of it. Then you're acting like a scientist looking at a fish on a laboratory. You're in no relationship with this thing. You just murder to dissect it. So we're talking about five different ways we receive the Bible. So this should let a lot of us off the hook. For all of you who find this thing super complicated, look, just keep coming to church and you're getting the primary way of receiving it. That's super encouraging, right? Keep bringing your children as they, as they act it out every week by kneeling it and praying it and singing it and confessing it and listening to it. This is the primary way that you're to receive it. That's really encouraging to me. The second way we listen for God in Scripture is through private, prayerful reading of Scripture. Remember I said public, corporate, worship, receiving of Scripture is primary, but it's not exclusive. It's foremost, but it's not sufficient. 
Scripture has to overflow the worship service if it's going to sink deep down into your heart. It has to, just like in Deuteronomy 6, right? It starts, hear, O Israel. But by the end of it, you're talking about thinking about it when you go to sleep and when you wake up and among each other. In other words, worship is primary but not sufficient. It has to overflow the bounds of the worship service and it has to enter into your own life, your private life. I talked about this last week. You have to develop a hidden life with Christ. And at the center of your hidden life with Christ has to be Scripture. You've got to learn how to spend time every single day reading and praying with Scripture. And you've got to hold these two together. There is in our day a revival of spirituality divorced from Scripture. And that's... That's a dead-end road. We have to hold these two things together. We've got to hold together a rich, deep, mystical, spiritual life with Scripture. And there's a ton of really helpful and creative ways to do this. And next week, my sermon is going to be primarily about that. How do we prayerfully engage with Scripture in our own private life? And this is a super kind of complicated thing that some people get and some people don't get. And I'm going to try to open that up a little better next week. So I'm just going to leave that now. So one way we engage Scripture is in worship. Another is in private prayer. I'm going to come back to that one next week. A third way we listen to God in Scripture is we need to study the Bible. And that's different. It's different than these other two things. On a regular basis, you need to study the Bible. Now, you don't have to do this every day. You don't even have to do this every week. You don't even have to do this every month. But on a regular basis, you need to study the Bible. You need to take a passage of Scripture, and you need to have several different translations because no translation, if any of you are bilingual or trilingual, you know that no single translation of, of any kind of story can capture it all because that's, that's just the way translation works. So whenever you're studying the Bible, I would deeply encourage you to have several different translations. And look, there are a ton of really good translations. Have them out so that you can figure out what every line means and every phrase means and every word means. And you can study this. Now, there's a lot of tools out there to help you study the Bible. I know that Spencer and uh, some other high school girls are meeting on a weekly basis with Christine and Gabby, and they're using a tool by a lady named Beth Moore to help them study the Bible. I know that Janelle and her friend Leanne, and next month in January, they're planning to get together and study the Bible with a tool by a lady named Kay Arthur. There's a ton of resources out there to study the Bible, and you don't have to do this all of the time. You know, I know that Janelle and Leanne were going to do Bible. They were going to start their Bible study, I think they said, uh, this month. But they decided they're going to do the scripture readings for Advent. And they're going to wait until Epiphany next month to do that. You don't have to study the Bible every day. Just like you don't have to listen to scripture and worship every day. Right? So listen to scripture and worship every week. On a daily basis, pray with scripture. And on a regular basis... A couple of times a year, study the Bible. And there's lots of tools available for how to do this. Lots of ways to do that. If you need help finding some of those tools, talk to CJ if you're a college student or 
Anybody else? He's got lots of ideas about that. Talk to Janelle and Leanne about how they're going to do it, or Spencer and Gabby and Christine. There's lots of, you need to do this. This is one of the ways you have to engage with Scripture. Fourth way is through art. Through art. Listen again to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Well, how do you get... How do you get it from here into your heart? Teach them diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. See, it's got to overflow worship. And then listen to this. Bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is what I mean by art. I mean the whole range of art. I mean music. One of the ways that we engage with Scripture is these songs we sing. One of our children loves to sing, um, has this rich imaginative life, and whenever she's by herself, she's often singing, and we often hear her singing the songs of the church. That is her engaging with Scripture in a way that really matters. This is what it says In Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with the Lord. How do you get full of God's Spirit? One of the ways is through turning Scripture into music. So whether it's K-Love or the hymns we sing here, but it's not just about music. It's also about things hanging on your wall, right? Put them on your doorpost. Uh, Our home group meets at the Miller's house. This past week, we're leaving home group, and hanging on the door is this chalkboard with Scripture written on it. That's an artful way of receiving Scripture. And, and, And it's not just through music and actual words painted, but it's in movies. One of the most, one of the deepest experiences I've ever had meditating on Christ, about Christ on the cross dying for me was when I watched the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe and Aslan dies for Edmund. And when I saw that in the movie theater, I just started weeping uncontrollably. This is an artful way of engaging Scripture. We're reading as a family this winter um, one of C.S. Lewis's books, The Horse and His Boy. And over and over I'm struck that Narnia is the new heavens and the new earth and that they're trying to live in, in all of these bad places the way Narnians live. This is an artful engagement. It comes through novels, one, Lots of movies pick up on themes of scripture. Lots of novels do this. That's the fourth way. Artful engagements. A fifth way we listen to God in scripture is by reading big chunks of scripture in one sitting. And for this, I have a, um, what do you call this when you have an object or whatever? Thank you, Drew. A prop. Okay. Let, let me talk to you about something that's been transforming my own engagement with Scripture. So this is my Bible that I use every day. Do you see this? Your Bible probably looks like this. 
All right, so this Bible, just look at it. It's got these narrow columns with little notes in between and all of these subject breaks, right? This, the architecture always wins. Your preacher can tell you love your neighbor, but if you live in a gated community with manicured lawns and no sidewalks and giant garages and um, you never can get your way to your neighbor, well, love is just in a theory, all right? Architecture always wins. If you grew up in the slums, you would be a gangbanger too. Architecture always wins. All right? This, the architecture of this page is designed for you to read short chunks of Scripture. It steers you to that. How many of you have ever just naturally, don't raise your hand, but think about this. Have you ever just naturally sat down with a book of the Bible and suddenly woken up and you had read for two hours? No, this is not designed to make you do that. This is designed to give you short, 10-verse chunks of Scripture. So what this is, this is called a reader's edition of the Bible. And look at it. This is designed like a novel. The architecture of this page is the architecture of a novel's page. So this is the way the Bible was originally produced, in scrolls where you didn't have all those interruptions. There's only a couple of books in the Bible that were originally intended to be received in short burst. The Psalms, maybe the book of James, and Proverbs. But all the rest of the Bible was originally designed to be received in whole book chunks. We've got to learn how to do that again. What I'm, what I'm getting at You need, on a regular basis, to be doing whole book readings of the Bible. To read Genesis in one seating without getting up. Now, the good news is, over 60% of the Bible can be read by the average reader. The books of the Bible can be read by the average reader in two hours or less. 60% of it. that's, That's within all of your capabilities. Since I've started using a reader's edition of the Bible in this kind of way, you know what? It's just natural when I'm reading the Bible out of this to read it the way I read a novel. I start reading, and I don't stop at the end of a paragraph. Who stops reading a novel at the end of a paragraph, right? You keep going until the end of the chapter. Or you, you, you look up, and you've been drinking some tea, and you've just read for two hours, The reason we normally don't do that with the Bible is because the architecture of our actual books steers us away from that. So here's the deal. Uh, This is on sale. There's a website in the back of the... I don't get any proceeds for this. Um, (laughs) Except for this. If our church would start reading the Bible this way, it will make a big difference because... Take a book like Leviticus. Who wants to prayerfully meditate through Leviticus paragraph by paragraph? That would destroy you. All this pussing sores. and But when you read Leviticus in one sitting, it's sort of like surfing on a wave. You get up on top of the plot, and it takes just a little over an hour. And suddenly, you, you, kind of, you feel the book. It's different than diving down. 
Not very many people nerd out, geek out on diving down into Leviticus. But feeling the big plot of it. And here's the deal. The Bible is a story. And, and you can access the Bible this way. For a lot of us, a lot of the Bible in its details are complicated. But at its plot, you can get it. And our books architecturally are restricting us to only diving into the details. And so you need to find a way. So this hardback edition is for sale for like 99 bucks. There's a paperback, soft cover version for like 30 bucks. I, I'm, I encourage all of you to read through the Bible every year. Because you've got to learn the story of the Bible. And the only way to learn the story is to get out of the trees and to fly over the, the canopy to see the forest. So here's what you need. I would encourage you to do. Prayerfully read the Bible every day. A couple of times a year, study the Bible. Every couple of weeks, sit down, lock aside a couple of hours, and read a big chunk of the Bible. Every couple of weeks. And if you do that, you can read through the Bible in a year. It takes the average reader about 70 hours to read the Bible cover to cover at the average reading pace. That's totally manageable. Next week, we're going to give out a list of each book of the Bible. It tells you how many hours, how many minutes it takes to read it. So you can kind of just start whacking away at this. Spiritual formation brings wisdom and virtue and blessing in our lives. And scripture is central to spiritual formation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Lord, help us. Help us as a church to open ourselves to you through Scripture. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.